Welcome to Jaipur Bites, the JLF podcast. I'm your host, Laksh Tata. What you're about to hear is a session from the Jaipur Literature Festival 2022. And it's called Curtains Up, A Life in Theatre. Dolly Thakur, Ritu Menon, and Argya Lahiri in conversation with Sanjoy K. Roy. I have these wonderful people. When I, when these two books arrived uh, at my table, uh, Zora, uh, who used to call me Jesus Christ uh, for whatever reason, and, uh, and, and Dolly, who I've known forever, and Argya, who's been engaged with us uh, in Meta, our Mahindra Excellence of Theatre Awards, it was delightful to be able to read the stories of these two amazing characters. And as Argya and I were discussing a little while ago, there was so much of cross-connection, their journeys through uh, London, their, their meetings in different homes, and that's something that we wanted to explore. I'm going to start with uh, Ritu. Zora's no more with us. Zora Appa, I think, passed away when she was... 102. 102, and let me tell you, certainly till her 100th birthday, she was as feisty as you could find anybody. She didn't take any nonsense, and I think it was on her 97th or 98th or 99th birthday, I can't remember, we had her uh, at the Meta Awards as the Lifetime uh, uh, Celebration, and she sang, um, uh, what did she sing? Abib to Jawan Ho. So amazing, I just loved everything about her. Ritu, what made you sort of pick up on Zora and her story? They're on. Okay. Well, you know, Sanjoy, as you said, she's an extraordinary woman, and I had known her for about uh, maybe 10 or 15 years. And each time we met, she succeeded in surprising me yet again. I remember one time I went to see her. She was, uh, she, she was in the hospital. She had sort of uh, slightly unwell. Kiran, her daughter, was in Bombay. And she called me from there and she said, Ritu, zara, ammi ke yaan, zara, ja ke dekh lena, wo theek to hai. So I said, fine, I'll go and see her. I went to the hospital and a small clinic. And um, I knocked on the door and she said, gone. So I, gave, I said my name and she said, abhi nahi, abhi nahi. I thought, you know, she's really not feeling too well. So I waited for about five minutes, and then her attendant opened the door, and I went in. And there she was, sitting regally on the bed, propped up about six pillows behind her, perfectly made up, coiffed, and perfectly dressed. So I said, Zora, are you She said, ha, why I said, why did you say to She said, are suit to penti thik thak. So I thought, this is, this is not something I expected at all. However, the real reason that I thought her, her story and her life were worth telling 
is because, um, A, she lived to be 102. Uh, she died in 2014. Um, and she spanned a whole century of the performing arts in India. Now, there are very few people whom you can say that about. But what is even more remarkable is that she is the only woman who was in all the performing arts, except music. So dance, the um, theater, film, television. Um, and to be able to, uh, to perform in all with the kind of panache and elan, I mean, Dolly will tell you, she has known her as well and seen her. I've never seen her dance. Uh, I've only ever seen her uh, in film and on the stage. But I can tell you that she was an out-and-out out professional. One of the things she said to me when she came back to India from England, and Dolly will probably bear me out as well, she said, you know what I miss when she started acting in films in Bombay? She said, what I miss is the professionalism. She said, John Abraham, how am I supposed to emote? You have to say something. Apni lines yaad karo bhai. Lines padke ao. She read her script any number of times before she opened her mouth. So it struck me that there was something about this woman, this performer, this, this aristocrat who needn't have done anything in her life to have lived the kind of life she did, made the choices that she made, struggled with adversity, struggled with tragedy, and come out on top. The other name for the book could probably have been Zora and her travels. She traveled the world. She drove around the world. She traveled the world. And it's amazing in the way that from London, where she packed her bags and came back to Almora, how her life was, was sort of so full of it especially in Almora, when they finally landed up there with the Uday Shankar uh, company, it was a web of activity. Uh, and certainly, it's a page turner because there's a gossip in every sentence in terms of who slept with whom at which point of time. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that time in her life. I, she, afterwards, I asked her, I said, because honestly speaking, I do believe this, and she also said it in so many words. Um, she was madly and deeply in love with Uday Shankar. As were about 3,000 other students, male and female. So, uh, and of course he, uh, as Sanjoy has said very plainly, uh, he had no, uh, he had no holds barred with everybody, whoever was there. So, um, I asked her once, I said to her, when she said to you, she said, Are, he was sleeping with everybody. I didn't want that. Bhai, theek hai. I'm quite conservative, you know. So <laughs> I thought, okay, that's a good enough reason, a good enough reason for anyone. But then she said, and anyway, she said, Tab tak to wo amla bhi aa chuki thi. everybody knew she ye to chodingi nahi usko. She that was Amla Shankar. Amla Shankar. <laughs> And the, and the other fascinating thing was really her relationship with her sister. I don't know if any of you know, Uzra Apa. She was supposed to have been the more beautiful, uh, the better performer, the sort of star of the Uday Shankar company. 
we had the occasion in mid 80s or early 90s i can't remember for the first time putting together and uh, and hosting a production of ekthi nani uh, starring both uzra appa and uh, anzora at habitat full houses uh, absolutely standing ovation but tell her about, tell us a little bit about the relationship between uzra and zora I think one of the most painful moments in uh, Zora's life was when uh, Uzra decided that she and her husband or rather her husband decided husband's family decided that they would move to Pakistan uh, after, in the early 50s uh, 1952 I think it was or maybe 53 because that kind of break with the sister uh, with whom she shared everything was a very big blow to her very big emotional blow to her mind you she always in public she always sort of said she is the beauty and i am the beast she is the angel and i am the devil and then she would always make a joke about how uh, a guard at carnegie hall when they were performing there in new york asked for the segel asked for one segel and the guard said which one do you mean the one with the big eyes or the big hips and you know she would keep making cracks like this as though to suggest that there was this deep rivalry between them uh, not a bit of it people keep asking me and so i asked kiran i said well everyone knows about prithviraj kapoor and uzra bhat and everyone knows that uzra was the love of his life and he never got over her till the day he died but uh, people have also suggested that zohra was one of his lady loves and she said bilkul nahi and i have to say that i never ever thought that that could have been the case so i said to kiran i said but koi to hoga i mean there's no smoke without a fire she said and this is not in the book uh, she said dekho if there was anyone i think and i think i'm right she said it was shami kapoor beautiful beautiful a, a a book that you all must pick up and have it signed dolly thakur again if it was the travels with zora her book regrets none is again such a journey from when she was a child and she moved schools and her first love uh, which was a fascinating story dolly tell us about your early childhood or oh, before i dwell into that i was must continue with zora apa i was very lucky that i knew her in london and the first person i met when i went for a rehearsal was at zora's house uh, in belsize park and then of course we had lots of rehearsals together lots of tv uh, things together many years later when i returned to mumbai um, it was her birthday and i had invited her to my place and i invited all the people from the prithvi theater from the prithvi raj group that she worked in and as it happened uzra apa was there also so it was wonderful to have both the sisters there now my house is the size of the stage huh? my full house and so they were they all came jam packed in it and zora apa recited abhi to main jawan hu and my little son this is before he and uh, uh, arya became best friends because kwasar was only 7 or 8 years old at the time and kwasar played the lighting expert so he held the lamp 
and Zorapa was performing in the balcony. I had a balcony attached. But you know, I mean, I have such lovely, endearing memories with Appa. And I was there for her 100th birthday at the Habitat, I think it was. And uh, uh, she's somebody that one can never forget. Never forget. All right, now about myself. <laughs> Tell me what you want to know. Your early life, it was so fascinating. This is a whole world ago. And, and you went from place to place. You were being transferred. Your family was transferred. And, of course, your first love, which was, again, a fascinating telling of the story. My uh, father was in the Air Force. But in those days, uh, the Air Force wasn't what it is today, where you can fly out almost anywhere and things. You, and uh, so I've traveled. Um, uh, Hyderabad, Kohat, Kanpur, every Delhi uh, with my father. What was lovely about the life that I led is we never worried about who wore what, who talked what language, who ate what, who prayed in whichever way they did. And I can't tell you how much confidence that gave you. It was wonderful. I, my heart weeps and breaks at what is happening to my country now. It was so wonderful to be like that. We never bothered of what perfume you put on, what long car you drove in, which house you lived in. You know, it was such an equalizer. And I'm so glad that I was a part of that India. And that is the life that I had led. And again, the education that we were taught was all we had moral science, but it was really moral. It wasn't about which god you knelt to or which person you, uh, which house you went to or which temple you went to or which mosque you went to. I mean, you, you know, I mean, moral science was a subject that was taught in school. We were also taught current affairs, which is something that I keep telling all the schools where I'm invited to be chief guest or whatever. We used to have a topic called current topics every Saturday morning for 45 hours, 45 minutes. And we had to bring in a cutting from a newspaper. It could be as silly as a cat caught up in a roof or on a treetop or something. But you know, those are the kind of values that one imbibed. I have never been scared of being wrong about anything or doing wrong or being accused of anything. And I think that's what's given me the courage to be who I am. And this is the message that I would like to pass on to everybody else. I don't know what else you want to know, but here you are. Do Dolly, one, one of the most interesting things again in the book is that you belong to a different time, and yet you were able to break what could have possibly been shackles to be able to embark onto this incredible journey, which is your public life. And your public life in those days, I mean, as a woman, and you know, you've had the good fortune of having met and been part of so many historical occasions. Was there a challenge as, as a woman, as, as a young person, as a, as a girl? Was you know, I think I wasn't scared of anything. I was honest with myself and therefore honest with people. Um, I can't remember anybody pointing fingers and saying, hey, wo dekho kitti chalu hai. Or dekho kaise dress hoti hai, dekho kaise chalti hai, which is what I hear a lot of people getting today. And none of that phased me. You know, I'm not saying that everybody applauded what I did because I, uh, my first experience in theater, which I have related and which is in my book, was at the age of five. 
I was playing Krishna. I was painted blue and all that. The curtain opened. I took my first step and the sari fell off. And the curtain came down and all the Air Force wives rushed in to then tidy me up. And when the curtain opened, there was a huge applause from the audience. All Air Force wives and things. And, but that applause has rung in my ears always. I've always wanted an applause. And I hope that you all will applause after yeah. this. <laughs> so I stepped into debates, elocution, inter-house, inter-college, inter-university, inter-everything. Uh, I, I, I attended the uh, at Talkatora Gardens at uh, the... Uh, international festivals that we used to have. I've uh, sat next to Pandaji, uh, near his knee. Pandaji, for me, Pandaji, there's only one Pandaji, and that's Pandaji Jawaharlal Nehru. He put his hands on my shoulder to get up. And I didn't wash that choli for three months. I mean, that is the kind of adoration, adulation, respect that one had for people at that time. Mm -hmm. What brought you to this wonderful story and the telling of it? And uh, in many ways, you've captured not just her journey, but you've also captured, you've given a vignette of so much of history. Uh, you know, there's so many people she met, so many incidents that happened. How did that come about? Um, well, it actually has its roots in one single story. But I'd just like to share with everybody what I said to uh, Ritu just before this session started is up until now, I've been describing uh, her life as one that is epic in its sweep. And I still maintain that. But in contrast to Zora Segal, it's nothing. Like, that is quite literally an insane span. Um, the story was very simple, Sanjay. I, 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 I was sitting doing lines with her. Uh, I've directed her three times, which is why I call her DT when we're working. You can't yell at somebody and say auntie. Um, I've known her for a very long time. Um, but she told me this story, which is in the book, about uh, uh, quitting smoking, how she quit smoking. And it w it's, an, it's an exquisite little anecdote. So uh, I'm very close friends with her son. And I, I, I said, you know, this is the, you should write a book, I said to her. <laughs> um, famous last words. Because she went, I've been writing one for 40 years. So I said uh, to Kwasar, I said, listen, I'm being serious because I think some of these stories that she has, and the stories aren't the stories that you'd expect Dolly Thakur stories to be, the public figure, all of that. It's the little things, the childhood, the being a defense services kid, the first heartbreak, which to me is the biggest heartbreak, I think to her as well. Um, and I said to uh, Kwasar, I said, you know, if she needs some help, um, I'd be willing to, because I think the story should be out there. Uh, three days later, a suitcase arrived, uh, but, you know, full of transcripts, notes, 40,000 words of a manuscript, and clippings. Um, and, you know, here we are. Uh, that was one part of it. But the big thing for me, and I do think, so for me, her life traces a part of the history of Bombay in particular, a part of the history of India in particular. Obviously, it's a very small part of it. But she's been through so many huge shifts. Um, and what was personally very important to me 
because she's been someone who I've known for a very long time. She went from being a friend's mum to being a mother figure of sorts. She's an actor I've worked with severally. Uh, she says uh, I am her favorite director, but she said, doesn't say that publicly. Um, um, so I've worked with her several times. She's a confidant. She's someone I've, I lean on for a great deal of support. She's been there for very many strange points in my life. And to me, what was important was capturing her voice. And the, her voice for people who know her is markedly different from the voice uh, that people think she has. I don't know if I've done it justice, but that was what the, what the whole thing was. You, ca you can, but just before you said that, Ritu, I wanted to check, I guess, so what did you leave out? Not a lot, actually. Uh, she's very clear, she wanted, she wanted it all there. She, because she, it's genuine, you know, this thing that I've, I have no regrets. I don't hold anything back, I've shared anything. I have, was angry with people before, I no longer am, because how long are you going to hold on to a grudge? And this remarkable lack of fear, there was a point in time three years ago when I turned the dictaphone off and I said, look, I'm not recording anymore. You were 23 years old and you went to London on the strength of a handshake. Like, tell me the you... The promise, were, the promise yeah. of a possible Yeah, If you come, I'll have a job India. for you. No visa, no passport. Um, there's a line she that... She did have a piece of paper. Yeah. She did have so nothing, no paper. contract, uh, just, just a conversation at a party. There's a line that we refer to constantly in the book. Well, not constantly, quite a lot. It's the kindness of strangers, which is Tennessee Williams, of course. But I said, you know, you had... But three days later, because somebody else overheard the conversation, she had a passport, she had an entry permit, her, mother's, her sister worked for Air India, her mother said, I'll give you the money, and you know, three weeks later, you're standing on a pavement in London. And I said, surely you were afraid. Surely. No. I'm going to come back to the heartbreak, because I think that's the sort of, at the center of the kernel of the book. But Ritu, you were going to say something, and I'm going to ask you. Yeah. You know, uh, of course, uh, um, I haven't been able to put the book down, by the way, ever since I got it, which was two days ago. I still haven't finished it. And as I told you when we were chatting, there are so many familiar names and so many familiar uh, passages and, uh, and encounters and so on. But Argya, what struck me, and I'm amazed at the fact that you have managed to get her voice. So how did you do it? Did, did, how much did she write and how much did you did you intuit and write? There was 40,000 words of a manuscript that stopped at about 1988 or 1990. Uh, and then <laughs> things that we got in the, it's like a John Woo film, um, things that we got in the manuscript, uh, sorry, uh, in the suitcase that arrived, somebody else had done about five hours of interviews with her, so there were transcripts of that, and then I did much to my eternal regret, another seven hours of interviews with her. So we, and, and a lot of it was not necessarily material that made it in the book, but just chatting. And I'm very cognizant of the fact that I am a young man uh, who has co-authored a book with a woman, and it's, it could be a very problematic thing. But I also feel like one of the reasons I was able to do it is because I've known her as long as I have in the capacities that I've had. I was her son's friend, then I became someone she worked with, then I became someone who worked with her quite, um, quite uh, strongly, independently, intensely, etc., etc. And we've been through a lot together, weirdly enough. 
Um, so yeah, I, it's just you know listening to it over and over and over. That again. could have been a problem, but I think you've done an absolutely extraordinary really? job because yeah. it's. I know how difficult it is to get that tone, tone. to get the pitch. And you know something that's astonishing in this book, and I, I want to say this because I'm, I'm also an editor. Those short sentences, very difficult to pull off if you don't get it absolutely right. And you have managed to do that. Thank you very much. I'd also just like to say that uh, the first job she ever had was as a copy editor. And receiving, and, and, and our great editorial team is here somewhere. Yes, hi. Swati, thank you for everything. But I just also want to say to get a manuscript back from DT after she's read it is very bruising for the soul and the ego. It's, 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 this is a lovely sentence. The next three pages are garbage. Thanks. I'll, I'll, I'll come and run more tape. <laughs> so, yeah. No, but that shows, you know, that shows that copy editors, uh, brutal, brutal, brutal uh, sort of uh, just junking of whatever is not necessary. So that's why I recognized, I said, is this Dolly's voice or Argya's voice? Ritu talking, coming back to your work, I mean, here was Zora, who's not with us anymore. And again, the research that went into it was amazing. The question that I have for you is that Zora performed all the time. She only wanted you to see her, as you said, when you walked in, in a particular space. And yet, in points, you have moved beyond that, beyond her persona. How were you able to break through that and tell the other story? You know, some, uh, sometimes I think that uh, by the time I got to know her, she was already in her 90s, late 80s, 90s. I, I didn't, uh, unlike uh, Dolly, I never knew her. When she, mind you, she was in her uh, 50s when she reached London. Imagine, of course, Dolly's courage is, is amazing, but Zora arrived in London at the age of 50, no beauty, a single mother, no jobs, just uh, you know, a few weeks in the British Drama League, and she decided she's going to make her way in, in British theater. I mean, who was looking at an Asian woman? And a 50-year-old Asian woman, who was not much to look at, as she said, I look like Ho Chi Minh. <laughs> but I do think that by the time I got to know her, she had become her persona. It was actually not that easy to get to, I wish she had been alive when I was working on this because I would have asked her some things that of course I never thought to ask earlier. For example, she said to me, she said, Kamesh was always very jealous of Uday Shankar. I said, wo kaise? She said, um, he, he said to me, I said, what? She said, huh? Kameshwar ne ka jalado, mene jaladi. Then she said, ek din mein kamre ke andar gai in Bombay, aur Kameshwar album khol rahe the. To mene ka, aap kya kar rahe He said, sari Uday Shankar ki photo, sari bhaar ke ek taraf phenk di, unhone. Now, I wanted to ask her, actually, I would have asked her, look, how did you survive after he died? How did you actually uh, live for another 52 years or more 
with that knowledge. And she always said to me, I have never been able to tell Pavan, her son, what really happened. Now, here is a woman who actually, I think, had a very, very, very private core that she allowed nobody to see. Now, it, 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 uh, it, someone, when they were reviewing this book, said that there is an absence in the book, and they're right. That absence is the Zora that no one was allowed to see, maybe Uzra. But by the time I was doing the work, Uzra had passed away. There was no one I could ask, other than her two children and her many colleagues and friends and people like Dolly and Kumar Sinha and many, many others. There was no intimate person I could speak to who was left. So it wasn't easy, Sanjay. Uh, Ritu, I'm going to come to you in a second, Dolly. Ritu, tell us, you know, heartbreak has been the center of both these books in different ways. Heartbreak, uh, mental illness in, in this case, uh, the, the sense of separation, the sense of not being able to live up to that image. Did you feel that Zora carried that sort of sense of, of loss or the sense of not being able to fulfill everything? You know, there was something that I found remarkable in Dolly's book, and I'm going to link it to Zora, which is you never say die. You never accept that you cannot overcome. And you never, as she said to me, Zora, when I asked her once, I said, Aapne kaise zindagi is se lari without any. She said, I never look back and I have no regrets. Now, she had decided, come what may, I'm going to do what I have chosen to do. And I think she sublimated everything in her work. That's my only answer. If I had been able to talk to her and ask her what it meant and how she managed and so on, I might have. I might have arrived at another conclusion. But having talked to so many people and having actually tried to do whatever I could to, to uncover uh, you know, the times she lived in and the choices she made, I really do think that her work became her life. And it enabled her to deal with that, that kind of adversity. She said to me once, she said, I know I was a very bad mother to Pavan the son, who was only eight when his father died. But she said, Main kya karti? he needed a father figure. There was none. Well, what could I do? And she was terrified that he would take to drugs, which he did. Briefly, but he did. It, it tore her up. She just didn't know how to deal with. So I'm saying there were moments in her life where I'm sure she would have been utterly, utterly, uh, you know, despairing. But up and away. Dolly, utterly, utterly despairing. There you were waiting in your house. You had bought this dream house, or you were promised a dream house, and there you were going to move in, and then it all fell apart. Despair, and you had to move to a much smaller place. You moved out no, of no. this. It was the same place. It the was weather, the same yeah. place. No, but, but before I go, we go into all that, I want to say, share something about Zora Appa. Um, she my son runs a festival called the Thespo Festival, where we acknowledge uh, theater greats, etc. And so uh, Zora Apa was given the Lifetime Achievement Award, and we had a dinner at home, in fact, at my, at Kwasar's house in Varsova, those that know Andheri and Varsova and Mumbai. And Zora is sitting there on that chair, and she's telling me, 
I'm trying to fly, flirt with your father and he's not even looking at me. <laughs> and my father was also 92 years old, a widower, just a new widower at that time. And she says, I'm trying to flirt with him and he's not even looking at me. So, I mean, but that's the spirit that Appa had. You know, I mean, she, it was a never say die. Uh, well, that was the outward spirit that she, she had. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Going and back, she never, despair. Okay. Um, now, what, what is the question? I've forgotten what you said. It's about, you You know, you had been promised this house, you guys had moved in. Yeah, but that's okay. I mean, it's, it's all now forgotten and gone. That was all 40 years ago. But uh, uh, it's not that I uh, don't resent it, but I have no regrets about it anymore. I don't hold any grudges. And in fact, when he died, I was the one who was with him uh, till the last minute. So I, that's life. Life goes on. You can't bear grudges and live your whole life just because something's gone wrong. And that was also uh, 40, it all started 40 years ago. 40 years ago is when he moved out of this house, which I thought was going to be my dream house. But it didn't work out that way. And so what? I mean, you know, we still kept in touch. 10 years, I didn't speak to him. But after that, we were best friends. Oh, not case, best friends, but we were friends. We're talking about Alex. So, advertising in that time, and you were very much part of the advertising set, the musical set, the theater set. Set the stage for us a little bit. What was it like? Well, to tell you that... Um, I did a play called The Birthday Party by Harold Pinter, in which Alec directed me. And I was, I think, 28 years old then, but he directed me as a 26-year-old Lulu, wearing a strapless uh, top and a backless and short little skirt and thing. 30 years later, Arya Lahiri directed me in the same play. <laughs> and I played Meg the lady in charge of the guest house where these people all come. And I mean, that is a wonderful experience from a 26-year-old sexy Lulu to playing Meg. And I must say, he did a wonderful job because I had a lot of compliments for that particular performance. It would have been deeply problematic had she played the same character. I just, like, my directorial career... Not these, that it's great shakes, but... These I, days, yeah. everything is possible with the Botox. <laughs> Arkia, tell me, you know, you talked about uh, directing her, uh, you talked about being, uh, I mean, uh, her being a support. Of course, uh, Kwasar is a great friend. How do you make the sort of leap between one and the other? And why did this book become a book and not a play? I, well, it's, it's a book because she began it as a book. I, to respect what she wanted to do with it, I think, is the most important thing. Um, Kwasar said to me when he read one of the earlier drafts, he said, uh, I find it very theatrical because it's like she's speaking. So if somebody wants to take a shot at it, they are more than welcome. I will have nothing to do with it. I don't think I can. Um, it's not, you know, the, when, when you work with somebody who you've known uh, outside of the theater, um, perhaps also the theater allows this, where you can sort of put on the hat of a director and take it off. Um, it wasn't ever too problematic, I have to say. Um, in fact, I, you know, I enjoy working with her very much, and I, we've done some really excellent stuff together, in my opinion, at least. Like, she's always been wonderful, and she's able to find things, um, but you know that there are things that you have to do for her. Somebody has to go home and run lines with her. It's now 
powerful course because she can't remember it the way she used to be able to. That's fair. I'll do that because I know that what she will bring if she feels secure enough is that powerful. Thank you for listening to this episode of Jepper Bites. I'm your host, Lakshdatta. This podcast is produced by Launchora in association with Teamwork Arts. Please follow or subscribe to this show wherever you're listening to this to be notified about new episodes.